Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have sent me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com or uh, what you put in the comments section of my Q&A videos. If you leave them in the comments section below, I will get them and I will put them in my queue. All right, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me into your home this week. We've got some really interesting questions, so I'm going to get to them shortly. I just wanted to let everybody know there was no podcast this week. So if you were wondering uh, what, what happened to the Sensibly Speaking podcast this week, I skipped it because I am um, on the last week, really, of my um, dissertation on my master's program. So I'm really nose to the grindstone, you know, and I'm, I'm giving myself breaks and definitely not getting insane about it. But uh, it is a lot of work. And um, so I am giving myself the time and breathing room to get it done. But I was not going to deny you guys a critical Q&A video this week. And we did do our live show this week. And we had some fun talking about uh, some of the consequences, good and bad, of getting educated <laughs> and having an education and understanding things and, and how, what that does, at least for me. And I think it does it for other people too. You know, when you learn about things, you get this sort of a uh, reverse Dunning-Kruger effect where you learn that you don't know everything. And uh, and then there's an adjustment period there too, where you, uh, you know, adjust to the humility of it. <laughs> anyway, and that's, and that's all a good thing. That's all a very good thing. So anyway, we had a good time talking about that on the show. So, and I got some great calls from you guys. So I hope you guys will check that out. All right, let's get on with your questions. AC. Jim Baker had a massively successful Christian ministry in 1988 called the PTL Network. He raised over $158 million along with his wife and was able to build a full-scale theme park called Heritage USA. Perhaps this is a simple question, but why would he, as a supposedly pious person, have an affair with church secretary Jessica Hahn and throw it all away? Do you think he simply gave in to temptation or was he a narcissist who thought he could get away with anything? Jim Baker, yeah, he was a famous televangelist from the 1980s. He and his wife, Tammy Faye Baker, made a tremendous amount of money, were very famous for a while. Um, this Heritage USA uh, theme park is no longer existent. And, um, and just to correct one thing you mentioned in your question, the affair that he had with Jessica Hahn was actually an accusation of rape. She said that he and another person actually drugged her and forced her to have sex. And Jim Baker claimed otherwise in a book that he wrote after he got out of prison. Um, now, he went to prison not for rape. He went to prison for mail fraud and other uh, fraud-related uh, charges because it was found that he was keeping two sets of books at, his, uh, in his at the PTL organization. And he was uh, rolling in the money. And taking advantage of that and uh, lying to the government, lying to his parishioners, and basically he was a fraudster. And as I put it, Jim Baker is a human predator. And his real stripes have been shown uh, all his life. He, got, he, he goes into the PTL and he, he creates this thing and he immediately starts taking the money and power and influence that it affords him. And he starts uh, extravagantly spending on himself and... Um, having affairs, you know, becoming a serial philanderer and this kind of thing. And um, people seem like him. And I think, really, if I'm being honest, I think all of us, I really do, I think all of us have our weaknesses. We have our, we have things that that we know we're not so good with when it comes to willpower or um, 
you know, the, our ability to discipline or keep our self-discipline in, you know, keep ourselves in check. There's areas that we have weaknesses in. And um, and I think money and power and influence are, are you know, motivators or, or things that, that not, not a whole lot of people deal with very well because people are complicated and there's a lot of things going on in us. And there is good, you know, there are efforts to want to help people, to do, to make the world a better place, to try to improve things, help kids. I mean, that's how the PTL started. It was kids shows and stuff, uh, as, I, as I remember. And it seemed like it was all good, you know, and, uh, and then it can go to people's heads. You know, there's, there, there are parts of us that can become exaggerated or can become, can you can kind of, one way that people think about this is, uh, you know, you're letting the demon out. But I, I don't really think of it that way. I think we've all got our demons. And they just become exaggerated when uh, the, the factors of our lives, money, power, influence, you know, when we get more of that, then we're able to exert our will more easily in the real world. And so more of what we actually, who we really are and what we really want and what we really want to do starts coming out because the money and the power uh, afford you the ability to do that. So, um, so you asked, you know, it is a simple question. Why would a supposedly pious person have an affair or, you know, a sexually assault one of his employees and throw it all away? Well, one of the other things about, you know, predators and perhaps narcissism, but, but certainly we see this over and over and over again with people who get or assume power, is that it goes to their heads and they start getting the idea that is never, ever, ever going to go away, that they are entirely secure in their position and nothing could ever tear it down, take it apart, you know, threaten it, uh, et cetera. Uh, and I'm positive Jim Baker was in that headspace when he started uh, these affairs and started this other nonsense and the, and the financial crimes, is he, is he must have felt, especially after getting away with it over and over and over and over again, he must have thought, well, nobody's ever going to catch me, so what's the problem? And they be, and you kind of get this invincible sort of thing going on. And this is noted in, in various places, and it's, it's definitely something that happens with people, is they just feel invincible. And um, like a cult member who is enraptured in the euphoria of the experience— they feel it'll never end. They can't even conceive of a future or a time when this won't be this way. And as we know, that can change on a dime, right? Fates can change in a microsecond. Bad news, bad turn of events, you know, the stock market crashes, you know, whatever it is that, that causes that turn. Um, you do something, you say something that offends the cult leader, right? And suddenly everybody's mad at you and your whole world collapses. I mean, it's just like that. It can be that fast. So you see so that invincibility is not real. It's not true, but people do get into that. And um, you asked, do I think he could do, do you think he simply gave in a temptation or was he a narcissist? I think it was, I think it was a little bit of both, right? I, I think his predatory nature uh, pushed him, it compelled him to have to prey on people. I mean, that's kind of what's going on there. You know, it's not like predators or narcissists 
have a whole lot of choice in what they're doing. I mean, you understand that they are dominated by compulsions, obsessions, attitudes, and, you know, uh, things they must do in the same way you and I have compulsions, attitudes, obsessions, things we must do. You know, there's things we have to do for ourselves in order to be happy, feel safe, feel secure, feel like we're succeeding in our lives. And believe it or not, predators really don't feel like they're getting much out of their lives or doing much of anything if they're not preying on people. It's nuts. It's evil. It's awful. But that's kind of how they're approaching their life, you know? Uh, all right. So anyway, I just wanted to comment on a little bit of that about the predator thing because because um, it was an opportunity to do so. And Jim Baker has proven not only did he go to prison for all of that, and uh, I think he got like five years. I think he had to serve like five years of a 20-year sentence. I'm not sure how he, you know, wormed out of that. But after he got out of jail, got remarried, uh, five years later, he's starting up a new ministry. And, um, you know, he was recently uh, in legal trouble and had to pay back, I think, $158,000 or something is what I read, for trying to sell, actually sell online, a cure for COVID. A cure. That was what he claimed he had. So, yeah, the attorney general for his state was not impressed by that and decided to press charges. So um, so Jim Baker is just a fraudster and a scumbag. It's basically the, the, the underlying person who is there is not a good person. He's a predator. And, um, and predators are going to prey. That's what they do. And I mean P-R-E-Y, of course, even though Jim Baker says he is praying. He is, he is definitely not. Michael Yoder, I hear more and more about QAnon and cults, and it just baffles me. The latest was a telltale video about the QAnoner who died after contracting COVID. I know you've talked about this kind of thing before, but it boggles my mind how people can fall into such fantastical thinking without question. Or maybe we're living just like Alice in that old story through the looking glass. When we watch movies or read novels, we employ a thing called the willing suspension of disbelief. We choose to allow ourselves to believe that what we're seeing or reading is true at that moment. Thing is, most people, when the movie ends, leave feeling entertained, unless it's Battlefield Earth, but they don't continue to think it was real. It seems, in the case of cult followers in QAnon, that they've suspended disbelief as a way of living. I'd be interested in your thoughts about this. Michael, thank you very much for this question. I really appreciate it. It's a, it's a good one. It's kind of a deep one. Um, let me talk about this willing suspension of disbelief for a moment, because I thought originally when I read this question and started answering it, I thought this was a really good analogy for what goes on with cult thinking or with oddball thinking that we are, we're going to talk about here, but it's really not. And I'm going to explain why. Um, the suspension of disbelief is something a person knowingly engages in when they go get entertained by something. You know when you're watching a movie or a TV show or even a play, you're aware of the fact that it's not real. You know it's not. There's always a part of you that is very aware of the fact that this isn't real. Right? So you suspend that disbelief. You know that this is something you're not going to really believe in because it's just a movie or it's just a TV show. These aren't real people really doing this. Even reality TV we know is all just a bunch of crap. It's all just scripted and worked out beforehand. And they, there's, there's nothing real going on there. And we know that. 
And so we do this suspension of disbelief. We go, well, I would normally disbelieve this. I'd normally look at this and go, yeah, this isn't true. But right now, I'm going to suspend that. I'm going to put that on hold. I'm just going to park that, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this movie. In other words, I'm going to immerse myself in a different reality, a different set of rules for how life works for a while, and I'm going to enjoy myself. And I'm just going to know that, you know, Iron Man can fly and Superman can have laser beams come out of his eyes. And I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to say, yep, in that world, that all makes sense. Let's get entertained. Let's have a good story. Right. And that's that's entertainment in a nutshell. And we love it. What is happening in a cult sense or in uh, the real world when people get into these odd, strange, obviously wrong belief sets like QAnon or Scientology is is not the same thing as a knowing suspension or a willing suspension of disbelief. This is this is more under the umbrella of people don't think rationally and they don't have to in order to get along in life. You, you, critical thinking and rational thinking is obviously necessary um, for some parts of things, but you don't have to think that every reason why things happen to you, you don't have to have a true reason for it in order to get along in life. As long as the explanations that you have, that you tell yourself or that you, people tell you, as long as they make sense to you, as long as it works out for you, the way you see the world, that's all you need. You don't need anything more than that for your brain to be happy, for you to be happy, for you to have a, a worldview. This is how we this is how we do it. Because if it required fact checking every single thing you think before it was okay to think it, you'd never get anything done. A brain could never operate that way. It would be it would be madhouse nuts because it would have to second guess every other decision, every decision in fact that it was making. And that's no good. You can't you can't create a life form and have it get through life and and respond immediately to to threats and things like that if it's second guessing itself at every you know decision. So so the so our brain has to assume that the story we're telling ourselves, that the perceptions that we have, as long as it's getting us through life and we're surviving, okay, we're good. We're golden. We've got a good interpretation of everything around us. It's getting us along. We're not in pain right now. We're surviving. We got food. We got sleep, whatever. We're good. And that's all the brain cares about, right, is it has to make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then, you know, that's that nagging mystery splinter in your mind. Ah, it's driving me crazy. It doesn't make sense. You know, the mystery, that's what that's what a mystery is. It's something that doesn't make sense. So you got to work it, work it, work it until you until it does make sense. But it doesn't. But the way you make sense out of it doesn't have to be true. Okay, and that's really, really important to understanding why people believe stupid things and why we can get along by telling ourselves complete lies and get away with it and and get through life and navigate our our circumstances uh, just fine. You know. Uh, not always just fine, of course. The, the likelihood that you're going to run into errors or problems or difficulties 
is, you know, a direct inverse ratio to how many false pieces of information you're running around with thinking are true. I mean, it's not like you're not going to run into trouble with this. What I'm trying to say is that your comfort level with yourself, your ability to think through things doesn't demand that you believe true things. It just demands that you believe things or know things or think things that make sense to you. Okay. I'm, I, I think I've got that across really super way too much. So, uh, so that's what I wanted to, to talk about here in this question is that, um, is that that's, that's, and then the other thing here, that's right. The other thing I wanted to add on this is, um, there are things that we need to be true for ourselves. Each one of us, every single person has values People, circumstances, beliefs, things that are really important to you. You know exactly what I'm talking about right now. I mean, you could probably sit there and, you know, write them off top five on a post-it note or something. I mean, you know what these things are. They're super, super important to you all the time. Um, Those beliefs, those ideas, those things must be true for your life to have meaning and importance for you. None of those things have to be true things, but they have to, but you're going to, but you have to have those things. You have to have, you know, these, these, these important, stable information, you know, that you use to navigate your life, right? And if those things are faith-based things, like let's talk about, a, you know, I don't know, um, I don't necessarily want to just rag on religious believers all the time, but um, you know, it could be anything really. I mean, Scientology. Okay. Let's say Scientology, right? So I needed Scientology to be true. It had to be true. It couldn't, it, it wasn't an option that, that, that L. Ron Hubbard was speaking the truth. It was an absolute dead certainty. So that's how my life made sense to me is everything aligned to what L. Ron Hubbard was talking about and the, and the information he gave. That was what, that was, that was how I interpreted the world. And without going into more nonsense and, and, and ridiculous levels of detail, I'll just cut it off there and say, that's my, that's my answer there. I, I just, just think about it. Let me know what you think. Kim Kelly, how do you approach spirituality, if at all, after leaving a cult? Most people are drawn to religions or cults to find answers about life, our purpose in the world, inner peace, the afterlife, etc. What are your thoughts on these topics post-Scientology? Do you find it hard to believe in anything now for fear of being duped again? Hey, Kim, thank you for this great question. Um, I think what I've, I've addressed this many times before in earlier Q&As and stuff in terms of my spiritual beliefs or my ideas about God or how the world works and that kind of thing. Um, so I won't repeat myself here in going into all of that. I will say that. Um, I'm not a I'm not a, a a spiritual person. I'm not you know spiritual, but not religious because I don't know what spiritual actually means. I have I have concepts of spirituality from Scientology that I can't really not think with. I, I you know it's so embedded in me that that is my kind of model of spirituality, and I and I haven't been able to to kind of break out of that, even though I've rejected all of the Scientology belief set as a whole. But when you talk to me about, you know, spirituality, I, 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 that's where my mind goes is toward Thetans and stuff like that. 
Um, or there's also, of course, the concept of astral bodies, and then there's souls that maybe go to heaven. And, you know, so there's, so I understand that there are different conceptual ideas about spirituality or what that means. And of course, you also have Ghostbusters and ectoplasm and the, the spiritual dimensions and that kind of thing. So I can entertain those other ideas, but, but all in all, none of that is something that I'm thinking is very real any more than I'm thinking Smurfs are real. I mean, I just don't think that these things are true. I, I, I know that there are, though, fascinating phenomena connected with past life memories in certain cases or um, other spiritual phenomena that we don't have necessarily great explanations for that go, oh, no, this is completely physical, and here's all the da-da-da-da-da. You know, I know that there are question marks around in people's minds about certain things. Mine, too. I read some of those things. I'm like, damn, that's interesting. But I don't then, here's, here's what I don't do now, is I don't then leap to my favorite explanation for why that must be true and go, okay, well, it must be, that's proof, God exists, right? Or, oh, that's proof, Thetans exist. I, I don't do that part because it's not. It's not proof of that at all. There's lots and lots of ways to explain, you know, the kind of past life memories or other, you know, kind of weird ESP type phenomena that occurs. There are, there's lots of explanations for it besides spirituality or, or faith, so um, so what I try to do now is actually entertain lots of different explanations for things. I'm always playing devil's advocate with myself and other people and stuff and, and asking lots and lots of questions. And I just get really super curious about things now. I want to know all about them. You know, tell me all about it, that kind of thing. I'll go read up on it, do deep dives. Uh, so I'm interested in finding out about things and knowing about things more. Uh, at least ones that interest me. You know, people present me with stuff all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. So it's not like I'm trying to learn everything about everything. But um, I'm not looking to. I'm not looking to what's going on in the world to prove to me that I'm going to keep living after I die. And I'm not looking for things in the world to explain to me, um, it, on a, at least not on a faith-based vector. I'm not looking for explanations for where we came from, uh, you know, what are we, you know, I'm not looking to that realm for those answers. I look to sciencey stuff more for answers to those kind of questions, and I know we don't have them yet. And we got a long way to go before we're going to have them, and we're probably not going to have them in, before I die. And that kind of sucks for me. I hate being in that in-between time when we haven't figured stuff out yet, but we know enough to know to ask the questions. But we don't know enough to have the answers. I hate that. I hate, I hate being in that place. But on the other hand, it also opens the door to all kinds of possibilities of discovery and learning about new things and stuff like that. And that's where my critical thinking always comes in. That's why I'm always preaching and harping and going on at a mad rate about critical thinking, because it's the sort of stopper, the stopgap, the, the the bulwark against that kind of wooey, you know, uh, airy-fairy kind of thinking that I just don't want to get into. Um, it, it's so, it's too easy. I believe, I mean, at this point, I'm so steeped in the, in, in the, in all the stuff on this that it's just, it, it's beyond question how easy it is for any one of us to go absolutely nuts over some dumbass belief 
And I don't say that in some like horribly derogatory way. I just mean, you know, well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People get onto something and they're just absolutely sure that it's right. And there's no other way it could be. And how dare you question it? And it doesn't even have to be religious. It can be NFTs. It can be crypto. I mean, some of you right now are having a negative reaction to what I just said, right? Because you believe in it so hard. It must be true. Well, I, you know, maybe. I hope so. But I, that's the place I don't want to go to anymore is that place, that extreme it must be true thing, right? And that's because I know how awful that is, what that does to your ability to actually think logically, rationally, reasonably, right? And that's what, and that's that critical thinking element. So I think at this point, the number one lesson that I've adopted for myself that I will share with you guys about how I avoid or try to avoid going to that place, that extreme headspace of belief, is I just don't let myself believe that hard in anything anymore. And that doesn't mean I don't stand for anything. I have values, I have morals, and I have things that I believe are true, and I will defend and stand for those things. But I'm not 100% on anything anymore. And I don't know that I ever want to be ever again. I don't think 100% is a good place for anybody to be. That's the lesson right, is don't go to 100% on your belief on anything. Always be willing to question, always be willing to look, always be willing to examine more information about it than you have right now, right? And always, 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 always be willing to be wrong. And that is the hardest goddamn thing in the world to do. And I'm not any better at it than anybody else, but at least I know that it's an important thing to, to have there as front and center and be willing to entertain it, you know? So that's... Uh, those are the things that I can say on this one this time around as I answer it from my point of view right now. Um, yeah, I, and, you know, in terms of fear of being duped again, I know. See, here's the thing. <laughs> I know I'm going to be duped again. It's not a question. It's not a matter of is somebody going to fool me ever again in my life. I know they will. Because we all get duped. We all get lied to. We've all been, con, you know, conned and, con and, and fooled. It's how long am I going to let it go on before I catch it? That's what the critical thinking's for. And don't let myself, you know, fall too deep into anything. And those are my sort of operating rules now as I sit here. Uh, maybe those will change in the future. And as people ask me this question over the years, the, the answers have changed. So we'll see where this goes. But that's my answer right now. David Brown. I was thinking recently and I was wondering where you think Tom Cruise's seeming devotion to Scientology comes from. Personally, I wonder if it has more to do with his friendship with David Miscavige than any actual belief in Scientology. So let's say Miscavige passes away in 25 years or so. Is the now older Tom Cruise likely to still be a public Scientologist, or would he just quietly slip away? And would the death of Miscavige cause Cruise to rethink whether he wants to be involved in Scientology at all? Well, thank you very much, David. That's a good question. I don't happen to know the answer, but I will conjecture because you're asking me, and it's a good question. Um, I, and I will say that I don't have any idea. I, I've never really considered that this was the reason Tom Cruise was a Scientologist or was staying a Scientologist or got back into Scientology is because of his friendship with David Miscavige. I think 
I think Miscavige represents to Tom Cruise the epitome or the 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 ideal of what Scientology is supposed to produce in somebody. You know, I think that Tom, I think that Tom Cruise does idealize David Miscavige to some degree, and Tom Cruise wants to be the best that Tom Cruise can possibly be. At the at the end of the day, if you couldn't say anything else about Tom Cruise, you could certainly say that. The man is is totally full of himself. I don't know that he really is super aware that anybody else exists, to be honest with you. But if he does, and if he if he if he isn't quite down the narcissistic hole that I think he is, and I do use that term clinically when I talk about Tom Cruise, I do believe he is a classic clinically, uh, you know, narcissist. I, I do think that's what he is. Um. Anyway, so. You know, so I don't know that he is, you know, involved in Scientology because of anybody else. I think he's involved in Scientology because he truly believes that it has the route or the methods and techniques that he needs to succeed in his life and to attain, you know, personal spiritual freedom and immortality. I think he's a true believer with a capital T, capital B. You know, uh, that's what I think motivates Tom Cruise. I could be completely wrong about all of this, but that's what I think based on everything I know about the guy and um, and his relationships with, uh, with Miscavige. So there you go. Gur Roar. Why is the city council in Clearwater against Aaron Smith-Levin winning a seat? Well, there are probably a lot of reasons beyond my knowledge because I don't live in Clearwater, but I will speak to the general situation that you have ensconced leadership and it's just sort of you know there right i'm talking about the mayor i'm talking about certain other elements in the city council they don't want change man this is what con you know this is what being conservative is all about is don't upset the apple cart don't rock the boat what are you doing stop it stop it you're being too noisy knock it off right that's that whole conservative kind of flow and that is that is the attitude of these old guard in Clearwater, and they don't want to uh, disrupt the apple cart. They don't want to see Scientology messed with, simply and only because they don't want trouble. It's not because they love Scientology. I don't think that the people on the city council of Clearwater have any love for the Church of Scientology as a thing. Um, I think they're influenced by the Church of Scientology. I think that they have an exaggerated importance on the Church of Scientology, and its impact in the community and all of that. And they would just as soon, you know, kind of not deal with it, pretend it's not there, see no evil, that kind of thing. This is abundantly clear in not only how they've been dealing with Aaron's campaign, but how they've been dealing with Scientology forever. And this new city manager that we've been discussing at length and, and you know, his efforts to bend over backwards to accommodate Scientology. You know, these people just don't get it. They really, really don't. But... Um, even in the midst of their not getting it, uh, that's not the thing that I think is motivating them. I, I see them more as just, you know, sort of stale, you know, low level, uh, little bit of power politicians uh, who, you know, kind of let their position go to their heads. They uh, have a lot of personal vested interests in uh, it, it literally in, in invested in the community and they use their position in some way, which I don't really understand how, but it seems pretty clear that, uh, you know, a couple of people on that city council are using their positions in order to either enrich themselves or in some fashion, 
you know, have things good for themselves. And they're, that's, that is their stated priorities. I mean, Aaron Smith-Levin has, has made some videos exposing all of this, talking very, very bluntly about this. So I, I rely on him and his testimony and his uh, videos and, and the videos that we see from the city council, the crap they're saying, you know. So I don't know that it's a pro-Scientology thing so much as it just a, you know, why are you rocking the boat? We don't like you. We don't want you guys around. We've had our majority in the city council. Everything's been going the way we want. And now you guys come in and you actually want to do something and you actually want to change something here. Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. We're not going to have any of that. That's, that's kind of what I think is going on there from what I've seen and heard. And it gets nasty, you know, when people are, feel threatened or they feel their positions are threatened, they get nasty. They start, they start acting like a cornered, you know, wombat or something, and uh, it's not good. And so that's what we're seeing now, and I think we're going to see more of that through, I think, March is when the vote happens. So stay, uh, stay tuned. I have talked to Aaron, by the way, and, and more media, like on the podcast, is not really what he needs right now. He's just... Uh, you know, nose to the grindstone on knocking on doors and talking to the voters. More power to him. I hope he succeeds at this, and I really, really hope that um, we see some uh, actual change in Clearwater as a result. So there you go. David Anderson, I would like to know why and how we could possibly benefit by opening our southern border. All politics aside, who is going to make money off this travesty? It's a good way to ruin our country. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, that's an interesting question, David. So I thought I'd take it up. I'm, I'm no border expert, but I know probably more than the average person because I've spoken with border patrol and actual people who have had boots on the ground down there. And I know it's rough. I know it's very, very rough. And it's also like everything when you really get into the brass tacks of it. It's a complicated situation. But in terms of the simplicity of your question and all politics aside, this is not about politics or personality right now. I'm answering this question strictly on the basis of uh, the sovereignty of our nation and the need to protect its borders. Um, a nation is, by definition, a, a plot of land that has borders. Ever, you know, we got plenty of them, hundreds of them here on this planet. And in order to hold a position like that and maintain borders, you have to have security. You have to have an army. You have to have guards. You just have to, right? And it prevents people, um, you know, going out who shouldn't, and it prevents people from coming in who shouldn't, because not everybody in any nation in the world, they get to decide because it's their plot of land, who gets to come in and who gets to go out. But because we're such an international community now, and because the world is such a small place, um, the borders are porous. They are not open. They're not non-existent, and they should not be you know, totally open. I don't even know where the idea that we could possibly, you know, open our southern border, like just Take all the guards away. No wall. No nothing. Now, by wall, I mean a three-foot-tall wall with guards. I'm not talking about Trump's thing. But um, I don't suggest that we need to wall in our country, but we do have to have a border, and that border has to be controlled. That's that's. I, I think that's Civics 101. I really don't think that's a—, that's a uh, controversial statement to be making. So if anybody is suggesting, well, let's just open it wide open and let anybody come in who wants, no way. Yeah, come on. We can't do that. And we would never do that. Um, you know, you have to have certain elements that you got to keep out of a country by choice. I mean, if you have a decision 
where you decide if you're going to have a serial murderer come into your country or not, you want that choice, right? A known criminal, uh, somebody with an intent to come here and commit a crime, uh, traffickers. I mean, we don't need any of those people here. So we don't need them anywhere, really. Uh, but it's but that we definitely if it, but if the only choice is do we let them in or have them go out? Well, they're going to stay out, right? We need to we need to have that kind of control. There are um, you know be, beyond the, beyond that, I don't know that I can really that I'm really qualified to get too much more deeply into the weeds on this particular conversation because it's a because it's a rough one you start getting into immigration policy and quotas and the visa process and what it takes to become a citizen and that gauntlet that people have to run i do not envy anybody trying to come to this country and become part of it it is not an easy process we don't make it easy for people and that's a real shame because i think it should be an easy process but um but it's a complicated process as always and our government has seems to have the idea that it is uh, just fine the way it is, and we don't really need to mess with that right now, and, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I don't know. It's, it's a topic that comes up for ideological reasons rather than to really deal with the, just the stark reality of it. And that's why it's hard to talk about because people are instantly on, you know, on different ends of the, of the conversation on it before you've even started saying anything. So anyway, so that's why I didn't want to go on the ideological route on that. I, I don't know if my words have any use here at all, but you asked. And so that's my answer is uh, no, we need to have borders and they, they shouldn't be wide open for anybody. All right, folks, that's our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and watching. And I um, very much appreciate your viewership and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.